welcome back to a brand new season of our cybersecurity podcast. So far this year, we've seen a range of major events really influence what we're seeing in the cyber threat landscape, including the conflict in Ukraine. And with this, many organizations have operated at a heightened state of alert. Today, we're going to be discussing what steps you can take when the cyber threat posed to your organization changes. I'm going to be focusing on what you can do to prepare and respond. To join us in this discussion are Richard Horn, our cybersecurity chair here at PwC, and Laura Duncan, a director in our PwC cybersecurity practice. Thank you, Abby. Good to see you again, Abby. It's great to have you both back. So to get stuck in, my first question, I'd like to get straight to the point. What exactly does a heightened state of alert mean? And how is this different from business as usual? Yeah, so it's, I think it's really interesting because for years we've become used to the idea of a physical state of alert changing. So physical security as, you know, say the terrorist threat changes or whatever, then organizations might move to the next level. And that means they know what they're going to do. They're going to introduce scanners in the lobby or they're going to um, you know, do extra checking of passes as people come in through the, through the do- doors and that kind of thing. And so we've had that sort of concept in the physical world, and we're now starting to realize we need something like that in the in the cyber world. And I think there's sort of two different levels to it. One is when you know a specific threat is highly likely to target you, and that's, you know, we've seen that um, maybe with some organizations that might be targeted you know, directly by a nation state. And that means looking at specifically how would your defenses hold up against certain techniques and certain um software that an attacker might use and that kind of thing. What we're in today is a sort of a a place where geopolitical tensions have risen and we know that attacks may be more likely, but we don't quite know what or when or how or even by whom necessarily. And so that's the sort of concept of heightened state of alert to reflect that unpredictability of the environment we're in today. And I think what that means is really kind of, you know, checking checking everything really it's sort of checking that you've patched um, everything that needs patching checking that your access controls are tightly um, defined you're all the way through checking that you're logging the right kind of things that your detection processes are, are, are generally good maybe testing your response processes and checking your ability to recover if you had some kind of major disaster and that's really the um, the theme of the alert that's come out from the National Cybersecurity Center and similar in America and, and other um, Western nations as well is really sort of you know check check yourselves check that you're you're in a good general state and you could cope with something unpredictable that may come across the horizon. Thanks, Richard. And just to reference the NCSE alert that was published in February of this year, um, I know that it it didn't provide any reaction of what specific intelligence prompted this alert, um, but I think it's really important to remember that a variety of different factors can trigger this type of heightened state of alert and therefore drive an organization to operate at this level. Laura, um, would you like to summarize what does a heightened state of alert really mean for the C-suite? I'm talking the CEOs, CISOs. Um, do you have any examples as well from working with clients um, to bring this to life? Sure. So, I mean, unfortunately, over the last three years, we've had several examples when we've had to heighten our state of alert um, for for various reasons. And that can come from the situation in Ukraine um, all the way to um, a shortage in uh, supply chain or supply chain issues causing um, cyber attacks to to increase. So I think for the C-suite, it's really important to think about, again, as Richard mentioned, making sure you're doing those checks. Um, I think another Another thing to think about is also thinking about your agility and your scalability. So what does that actually mean? That might mean that you need to 
increase your monitoring levels, for example, or you might need to be more agile in the projects that you're doing um, as an organization. So say you're, I don't know, building a new website. I had a client building a new website in last year and they had to you know, put that on pause because they needed to do more security checks. They needed to let fewer and fewer changes go through into a live website because um, of the risks that they were taking on. So I think it's just looking at your processes and A, doing those checks, but also thinking about how you can be agile and be able to you know, shut processes off or um, change them, make them more restrictive, and also scale, scale up certain services that you might have. So you might want to monitor things more closely than you were previously, or you might want to um, let fewer and few po- fewer people into your estate, for example. So starting at the very beginning of what an organization thinks about when they're about to make this decision, Laura, where do you start? How, as an organization, do you go about assessing your vulnerability in these types of situations? What's really important, I think, is uh, looking at your kind of overall landscape and how you operate as an organization. So if you um, rely on your threat intelligence services, for example, you know, threat intelligence is a great way to see um, changes that are going on externally to your organization that might impact your organization. Another example might be looking at your third-party landscape and understanding what third parties might have had recent incidents or breaches or difficulties, and do you work with any of those third parties? That's a huge thing. I mean, Richard, you and I have worked with several clients that have um, been a victim of a third party's incident. Yeah, that's right. And actually, for those organizations... For all organisations, it's worth reviewing. You know, how would you know if a third party who you're dependent on has had an incident? You know, do they have the um, contractual responsibility to notify you? If the if they had an incident and it wasn't proven it affected you, would they notify you? And those kind of questions get it starts to get quite knotty, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think third party threat intelligence. Another one is just knowing your own landscape. What do you know, and also what do you not know? You know, I don't. I have yet to meet a client that monitors 100% of their landscape and knows every system they own and every single process they have and all of the applications they might have. So if you think about that, um, you know, you need to be confident in what you know and then also kind of have an idea of, gosh, where am I really vulnerable and should I be thinking about this? And that might be a physical location you're worried about, a part of the business you're worried about, kind of other areas. So that's where I would start when I'm assessing my vulnerabilities is I would look at, what is my threat intelligence telling me? What are my third parties doing? And and what do I know and not know about my landscape? And does that cause me, I guess, a little bit more angst than normal? From both your experiences, it would be really great to hear about what organizations are doing to plan um, and prepare for such events. Yeah, so it's, it's been really interesting. We've seen a lot of organizations where you know, when you ask the honest question, are you as well patched as you should be? Do you have all of your systems fully recorded in your asset register and those kind of things then the honest answer is kind of no and most organizations we we know of and we work with have sort of had that honest look in the mirror and said okay we need to we need a bit of a sprint on this to to get our patching state up to where it needs to be to make sure we've got all the all our systems in our asset register to think about where we could be logging more where we could be you know improving our monitoring and that kind of thing so we've seen quite a few organizations actually divert resources from maybe development work, put some non-urgent projects on hold and move some of their IT resource into what you might call hygiene activities. You know, just making sure that sort of the hygiene's right, that access controls tightly locked down and 
you know, all of those kind of things. Um, so I think that's the, the thing we've seen most most common in, in organisations is that sort of diverting resources to focus on hygiene in a, in a sprint for a few weeks. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really interesting, some organisations are starting to think about, and that is what would the next level of alert look like if we knew that we were likely to be targeted directly by a nation state? What would we do differently? And some organisations are starting to think about um, you know, maybe locking down firewalls more, maybe stopping macros coming through within Microsoft documents and that kind of thing, where it could be more disruptive to business processes. So it's not things that they've done up to now. But if they knew that they were highly likely to be targeted in the next few weeks, you know, what are the things they could do? So some organisations are thinking about that. And then the last thing is every organisation, I think, needs to be thinking anyway um, due to the prevalence of ransomware around if we lost our IT, what's our business continuity plan and how would we recover? And if we lost our IT, how would we be confident we had backups in place that we could recover from? And how would we keep doing business well whilst we rebuilt our IT? Yeah, and I mean, Richard and I have both had several experiences with that. I mean, I've seen people, they got out the whiteboards, right? Because they couldn't get online yeah. and they had to get out the whiteboards and direct people, well, here's where you go to to get your laptop rebuilt and you know you have to think about things like that another one was um i didn't print off my business continuity plan and yeah. so when when windows went down and i had no access to anything in active directory or any kind of file shares uh we had no clue what to do we had a great plan but we just didn't have it at our hands yeah. so like little things like that really thinking through what that scenario might look like and as richard said being agile being able to start some processes um, stop others in order to kind of get that hygiene up to scruff would be really, really prudent. Yeah, it, it sounds like there's a real shift in the way that organizations are really uh, thinking about business continuity and disaster recovery, especially when it comes to ransomware. It's really about the survivability of the organization at that point, especially if they have to continue to operate as normal for a period of weeks um, during this um, stage. So we've talked about an organization's processes. I'd like to shift the conversation a bit more and talk about the heart of every organization, and that, of course, is its people. It's equally, if not more important, to have the right culture in place. So how do organizations enable their people to be in a heightened state of alert? Obviously, um, everybody wants to do the right thing. I think at the heart of every organization is a group of people that genuinely just want to do the right thing and have a lot more good intentions than bad intentions. So I think I would just say that first of all. So I've never gone into a situation where people have not been understanding of, of the need for more security. However, <laughs> security fatigue is a huge thing, right? Um, if we're being more stringent on the changes that you want to process because you've been working on this project for two years and you all of a sudden can't because security is not allowing or they want more checks, that can be exhausting. Or, you know, Richard mentioned earlier with not being able to send macro-enabled Excels and email. Finance and legal would like, they they hate that. They That prevents, that prevents them from doing their job well. Um, so I think that kind of security fatigue needs to be taken into account um, when, when you're thinking about operating at this heightened state and, and, and thinking about how long you, you can ask an organization to do that. Yeah, and I think um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, many cyber attacks, they start with a, a human failure because someone's clicked on a link in a phishing email or opened an attachment. And I think whilst that's right, at the end of the day, you can't eliminate you know, human failure. 
people do stupid things and maybe I've done more than my fair share and that's why I'm more understanding about it. But <laughs> it's kind of like you know, everyone everyone's clicked on a link in an email by mistake at some point, you know, when they and then suddenly realise they shouldn't have and that kind of thing. So I think organizations do need to recognise that you can't eliminate human failure. You can't eliminate people doing something that they shouldn't. Um, and so you do need the technical controls and the monitoring to be able to catch and isolate things when when a human does let, let the side down, because we all do. Yeah, and I think one of my, um, one of the CISOs that I work closely with, she's always said, you know, a really good security program is one that you don't necessarily know exists. So maybe not in the heightened state of alert. Obviously, that will bring about change. But, you know, when you have good processes that guide you through good practice security objectives, when you're doing really good development, when you're making sure that you're being cautious when you reply to emails, you know, it's when you don't know it exists that you know a security program is, is working really well. And I, I really agree with that. Yeah. And Laura, as a follow-up question, is there anything particular that you would, um, just to give our um, listeners some practical advice, is there anything you feel that leaders should do in a time of crisis or a state of heightened alert to help their employees and enable them to continue to understand why there are an increased level of security controls, let's say? Well, I think the first and foremost is focusing on the people themselves. I know that when, you know, over the last few months, um, you know, from 20, the beginning of 2022 until now, we've really been focusing on our teams and our people and making sure that their um, well-being is taken care of. Because people know when it's a heightened state of alert, it's usually um, because there's danger out there. Um, either And in this case, it's virtual versus physical, as Richard was talking about at the beginning of this podcast. Um, so I think you know, taking into consideration that the mental well-being of, of people is really, really important first and foremost. Um, and then being really open and honest about what's going on and what you're doing to, to prevent that. Um, nobody wants to just be introduced to a harder a harder work life with without any sort of reason for it. So I think being um, communicative and regularly giving updates and offering um, a listening ear is really, really important. Yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. Um, especially well-being is especially important um, to reduce security fatigue, especially for those frontline security personnel who have been essentially fighting the fires for the last few months if they've been in, in a heightened state of alert for that amount of time. Because we do acknowledge that sometimes an organization can be in that phase for a, a long period of time and they do need to think longer term. So moving on to our next part of the discussion, I'd like to give our listeners more practical advice in addition to the points that you both have already raised. So what steps can an organization take to increase the resilience in this heightened state of alert? Richard, if I could start with you. Yeah, so I think um, we've talked a bit about the you know, the National Cybersecurity Center alert, and that's got some really good advice, mainly around IT hygiene. Um, and yeah, that's got to be sort of action. Action item number one is really focus on your IT hygiene. Um, I think the second thing is to actually rehearse rehearse a bit some various scenarios where you know what would you do if you your IT didn't work tomorrow what, even if it's not a cyber attack you know just some huge IT failure what what would you do how would you maintain business um, how would you keep vital processes going uh, and that kind of so that that question of yeah, the killer question I think every organization has to face up to is how would we continue uh, for four weeks without any IT. And if you can answer that, then you, I think you're in a really, really good place. Um, 
and and as part of that it's looking at your your backups your ability to recover from those backups and making sure that they couldn't be corrupted or deleted by an attacker as well i think for me um what's really important is to think about the financial aspects of all of this as well and think about that up front so you know a CISO has a really tough job and that they're probably on a shoestring budget to begin with and they're always asking for more money and they're you know unable to tackle every eventuality as Richard says we you know humans make mistakes and that starts a lot of the cyber incidents that we have um, but what will we do to respond better to that heightened state of security so I think a very honest discussion with your CFO, your CEO around what would it also cost to operate at a heightened state and what are the trade-offs you're going to make to continue to operate at that heightened state for a prolonged period of time. Because what we don't know about this is how long these heightened states are going to last. And, you know, you want to have that real, being the American that I am, dollars and cents conversation about, <laughs> um, you know, how much is this going to cost or how much could this? And do you want to secure some budget for that, like in your business continuity plans or something like that? Because the worst thing you want to have to do as a, as a CISO when you're operating in this heightened state is to start to haggle over finances. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that happen time and time again, you know, because you just don't know what it's going to cost and you want to make sure that you're optimizing that money as much as possible. Now, I, th I think bringing the budget and longer term thinking is a really good point because it's a really good point. Like we don't know how long organizations will have to operate in this state for. We've covered quite a lot in today's episode and we've really done a deep dive in terms of the operational level security controls you can put in place. Um, but Laura, just to loop back around to your point about thinking more long term, what are organizations or what should organizations be thinking at longer term about how long they could be in a heightened state of alert for? Yeah, Richard. Uh, and I, I think that's a really interesting point because one thing we've seen, especially where you know in the current situation, organizations have maybe had to exit operations from one country or limit risk coming from another country. And those kind of questions, they get down to the heart of how your IT is architected. And organizations that have been able to respond in a way that I think is really effective is being able to make decisions quite quickly and execute decisions around cutting off an office, cutting off a territory, limiting traffic coming from a territory through one sort of filter so that they can really monitor it and that kind of thing. And that's where a lot of modern technologies like software-defined networking and, and using um, internet portals that everything goes through in order to get into um, an office network, so essentially always on um, virtual private network. You know, they've been really effective for organizations being able to um, have the agility to deal with unpredicted uh, geopolitical situations. And I think if there's one thing we've all learned is that we're in a far more uncertain world today um, than we realized. And having an IT architecture that you can move and you can flex and making use of cloud technologies in a way that kind of gives you that agility is really, really important. Thanks, Richard. And Laura, any final thoughts to add? Yeah, I think just to pick up on Richard's point, it's around, um, you know, there's a lot of innovation um, in technology and in IT today. And with that comes security innovation as well. So if I could tell some of the organizations that we work with, you know, what, what I hope that you would do would be to embrace innovation um, in this space because you can skip a few steps now. Um, you know, we look at the way that security operations centers used to operate and the way now that they could operate and the value that they can provide now that we've got so much 
uh, more and better technology. And so I guess I would say, make sure that you also embrace innovation as part of looking to how you could operate in a heightened state of security. Thanks, Laura. Definitely some key things for our listeners to consider. And thank you both for joining me today. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope it was a really useful discussion on how organizations can respond to a heightened state of alert. Don't forget to subscribe to our cybersecurity podcast to help you stay ahead of the cyber trends and issues that matter. And you can check out our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash cybersecurity. See you next time.